Hello there, friends. Happy New Year. This is Marie, the SLP, and you are listening to the Thanks Morris podcast. I'm so excited to be bringing you the first podcast of 2021. Can you believe it? I hope you had a very happy holiday season with your family and friends. I know it was different this year, but I'm hoping that you found the joy. I am excited about 2021, especially getting to start off the podcast with my friend, Elaine from Pacific Northwest Speechy. I almost messed up her Instagram handle there if you couldn't tell. I'm very excited to be here. Can you tell it's a new year? Same me, but still learning and growing, you know, all those things. Elaine and I are here to talk to you fresh in the new year about setting boundaries, about burnout. She's a speech pathologist. Well, I'm going to let her introduce herself a little more, but she has a background in both private practice, hospital settings, and school-based speech pathology. And so she has a lot to share as far as balancing different kinds of workloads, and she's got a lot of knowledge around those things as well. So I'm really excited to have her here and actually carry out a conversation that we started having on her Instagram. She's done a live series. She put together this collective where she's bringing in different voices in the SLP community, different experts, and we're talking all about our own ways that we handle burnout and set boundaries and all those things. So we're going to hear from her and, um, you know, I'm going to pick her brain a little bit, but also just carry on the conversation and add my own fun stories in there as well as I like to do. I hope you enjoy this conversation and I hope you're having a very happy new year. Hello, Elaine. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here, Marie. We were just joking a little bit. I don't really know how to use Zoom anymore. <laughs> I Oh my God. I know. I Well, you just saw me. I couldn't find the record button. So we are both, uh, for those of you listening, well, Elaine is another speech pathologist. I should start by saying we are so out of, we're both on break right now on winter break, um, enjoying it fully. Like it, yeah, yeah to the it max. <laughs> so weird to like, be like, oh, I have something to do. Like I have an 11 o'clock appointment today, basically. Um, or, you know, but it's fun. Cause we, I feel like could just chat for hours and it doesn't feel like work, obviously. No, um, totally. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I was telling you earlier. Yeah. Like literally my brain has totally like shut down in the best way possible yeah. since break has started. And yeah, this is me <laughs> coming <Yeah>. in raw. <laughs> Same. And I think it's kind of perfect for what we're going to talk about today too, with talking about you know, balance and burnout and productivity and stuff. So um, we're definitely going to get there just because we're both school-based SLPs, but you actually, um, you're kind of a two-in-one SLP. I feel like Ah. I totally am inspired by you as far as like working towards opening up a private practice and everything like that. Um, But just so everybody else knows a little bit more about you before we get into all of this, can you tell us just about your backgrounds as an SLP Um, where you're currently working and all of that. Yeah. So, um, I am currently working part-time in the schools and I work four days a week in the schools. And then my one day, um, that I have off, or I shouldn't really say off, but away from the schools, that's when I have my private clients. So I have a small private practice. I see a few private clients, um, during this time and I'm excited to, kind of continue expanding that. And we'll probably get into it more later when we talk about um, some of the questions around burnout and the reasonings I have around it. Um, 
but my background is in a variety of settings. So I have kind of been all over the map. Um, I've worked in a ton of different private practices. Um, I've worked at autism centers. I've worked at a children's hospital. And then that's how I got to schools next. And so kind of, kind of, uh, I don't know, like free floater here. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. I, Sometimes I wish I would have done like a hospital setting for my CF, just it wasn't and still isn't really a high interest for me. But I think having that wealth of knowledge in all areas, but like beyond our externships is just really helpful because especially talking about like balance and stuff, it's Mm -hmm. like you have seen it from a couple different lenses versus just school-based. Like I come in hot with my like, you know, there's so much paperwork sometimes, like it gets to be a lot during certain times of the school year, but then I don't have a lot of knowledge of like, but there's still things in the other settings that accumulate and can, you know, like, I remember being in my, um, my hospital placement and the productivity piece of it, like the literal, like, you have to document all those hours. And if you miss a, like if a client turns you away or, um, you know, a patient turns you away, like you lose like hours of productivity and stuff. So it's so interesting to me, like, like that. I don't know that lens as well, but that, that can be very stressful. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think one thing that you said that I, um, feel is very true. Um, being in multiple settings, there's different pain points. Like everyone kind of shares similar experiences, but each setting will maybe exploit a certain pain point more than another. And I will say being in the schools for about a year and a half now, I will say paperwork is a big thing that I think you guys, um, I should say we, cause I'm in it too, but we really experience in the school setting, um, the IEPs, the documentation, because everything is so not that it's not in a medical setting, not like a legal process, but it's so much more like pronounced in a school setting. Yeah. Um, that's something I've definitely uh, picked up. Um, but what you're saying with productivity, I think it shows up differently in every setting and how the value of productivity is communicated to the clinicians is different in every setting, but it's there. And you're right. I think after working in multiple spaces, that's when I was able to kind of look back like, huh, in all these different spaces, I still felt a certain level of burnout or there's a common thread here. Whoever I'm talking to um, clinician wise, like we're all feeling the same way. Like what is it about maybe our field as a whole or just being in a healthcare field that's contributing to this? Um, I'm very passionate about (laughs) dissecting that and debunking some of the things around it, but also promoting then self-care tools and advocating for yourself so that you don't run into this risk of being so burnt out in these settings. Yeah. Um, And I really appreciate that you've taken this, like, and I I didn't mention this yet, but um, we did a live event a couple weeks ago now. And that's kind of why I had the idea to bring you on in for this first podcast episode of 2021 um, to talk about this. Cause I think it's very, it's, it's very appropriate to go into like a new year kind of thinking about these things and, and, you know, talking about how we take time for ourselves and all of that. But um, you've 
created the, this collective where you've been bringing other voices in from the SLP community on Instagram, which has been so amazing um, to talk about and to, like you said, dissect all of this. So I just wanted to kind of plug that for people because you have all of those saved. And I think there, you can hear, I mean, you just had um, Abby from Type B SLP on and that was amazing. Um, and then, uh, you've had so many of us, I'm like, I could name all of them probably, but, um, the point is, is there's so many different perspectives there on all of this and how we're all handling, uh, stressful times, especially with all turning into teletherapists overnight. Oh my gosh. Right. I mean, just you saying that I'm like, Oh, that was, that was a big shift. And, Yes, so grateful to have a job where I can still be um, working during this time and I'm still in a position of stability in that regards. But wow, what a shift to move everything that you do physically, digitally and connecting through. Like, I feel like that was a huge learning curve in itself and shift in expectations. Yeah. Um, that was hard, but we did it. <laughs> we did it. Green screens, um, boom cards. Yeah. All the things. And yeah, thank you for also bringing up, um, the collective. I think that was really a project that was born out of this awareness I had of, wow, burnout is a real thing. Self-care is so needed. I know we all talk about it and there's value in it, but I really want to be intentional and talk about it in a healthcare space um, and bring different voices in to weigh in. How do people identify it? Because how I identify burnout is so different from someone else. How I'm going to combat burnout may look different for someone else, but to hear multiple perspectives really, really gives this collective picture of what can we do? Like, First, identifying the problem and then what can we do to kind of move through it? And I think in the grand scheme of things, where are maybe the gaps that our system isn't built to support us um, for burnout? I think there's some things that we can do ourselves, but I do want to say that I think there are things our system needs to be better about um, promoting as well. A hundred percent for sure. And um, I think that kind of gets us into the next point here of actually talking about burnout and maybe giving some, I mean, we both have our own examples of where we feel like we've hit burnout. <clears throat> um, and maybe we can just talk about like what it looked like for us again, yeah. like you said, and I want to make sure that this is emphasized. It's not going to be the same for everybody. I mean, I will say like, I can give a clear picture of when I hit burnout, you know, um, in a typical school year without COVID, without teletherapy, but I can like now probably identify three different times I hit burnout in 2020 because mm -hmm. of all of the pressure of changing things of, you know, um, missed paperwork coming into a new school year that was just put on hold that we had to, you know, handle it within a month, like yeah. so, you know, so many things. And so, um, I don't know, Elaine, if you want to go ahead and maybe explain how you've hit it. Um, yes. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, yes, I felt it multiple times. So yeah. I think there's I think there's kind of a level where we all experience fatigue. And I think there's a low-grade fatigue that just happens from just day to day. And I think in any career, at some point, you kind of feel that. Um, 
regularly, but I think that there's three times in my mind vividly where I really was like, Ooh, I hit burnout. Like this is much more intense than any other level fatigue. Um, and the first one was my CFY year. Yeah. CF year. Um, that was, it was, I think it was an accumulation of all the stored stress from grad school. And then after you graduate, it's like the excitement, enthusiasm. I'm a clinician. I'm so excited. And you get birthed into this career and you are just like, I, I mean, you being me running with <laughs> it and so excited and then realizing, oh, there's so much that I didn't know I was responsible. Like you're aware you're responsible for paperwork and all these things, but to actually do it now and be the responsible one for all of your clients, mm-hmm. um, all the paperwork, the treatment. Um, and I'm just going to put it out there, even work politics, like things oh. that I just didn't even expect to experience. And I thought, wow, I did not even think about this aspect of a career. I've just been focusing on technical skills. I didn't even think about relationships or work politics or um, even like like nar- narratives that were not empowering for myself. Like I, and we can get there a little bit of just like beliefs that I had for myself of like maybe tying myself with productivity. Like my worth comes from productivity. My worth comes from X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I really had a lot to learn. Um, baby Elaine, I wish I could go back and give her a hug. See, <laughs> it was rough. Um, how I felt at that time was a true, true. Um, I think I was, there was a lot of tears. I'm like, I'm trying to think back and I'm like, you know, that's, that's actually CF year. I remember actually having um, questioned my choice in my career because I thought, wait, this is all I ever wanted. Why am, why am I not happier? Why am I so stressed and sad? Not recognizing that I am happy with my career. It's just it was a huge learning curve. I needed to have someone to support me and like, I need to give myself grace and also setting setting makes a big difference. And, um, at that time didn't know any of these things. So I really internalized it as shoot. Did I like go through all of this? And this is actually not what I like wanted all along. I like was so confused. Um, so we can start with that. I'm like, there's two other ones. I'm like, let's just start there. There's a lot yeah. of moments I remember. No. And you brought up so many good points that are so relevant to, you know, just the things that add into all of it. Like, like I think, okay. So if like you would ask me what burnout is, like if you, if just a blanket statement, like a couple years ago, I would have said, oh, it's when you're working like too many hours and, you know, you're just not giving yourself enough time to sleep. And, um, basically like my thought, like if I picture myself in burnout, you know, without knowing really how it would hit me would be just me, like maybe taking too many things home to work on over the weekend and then staying up too late on a Sunday, trying to finish an IEP. And then, you know, maybe having multiple IEPs on a Monday, like that's what I would have thought burnout was just like overworking yourself, like physically, Um, but what really, what it comes down to is it could be so many different points of stress. Like you said, like even just questioning your own decisions, like, and, and kind of being hard on yourself for maybe making the wrong decision. 
um, the work politics, I mean, that's where I hit it. That's what got me was work politics. And it was very, it was emotional burnout is what it was. Um, and I think, and we talked about this in our live, like for me, it was the realization of, I couldn't really function outside of work because I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't sleeping well as a result of not wanting to go to work because of the issues that were taking place with colleagues at work and, you know, and like, and issues that didn't even really like, they started to directly affect me, but at first they didn't like, at first it was, it was just that I was there. Um, but then things started and, and not to victimize myself or anything, but for kind of what felt, felt like, and still do feel like arbitrary reasons. Yeah. I was pulled into this for lack of a better word, drama. Mm-hmm. And I, so on my team, like I would, I'm one of the two younger um, women on this team of teachers. I'm the only speech pathologist. And um, it was my second year going into my second year of being a preschool SLP. You would have thought I'd hit this point in my CF. You would have thought I hit it in my first year as a preschool SLP, which I didn't like, I got to stressful points, but I always kind of, um, they, they just didn't bother me as much as the emotional side of things, I guess, could get you. And, and so at the beginning of the 2019 school year, just all this stuff kind of came out of nowhere for what felt like just irrelevant reasons. Like, I'm like, I'm here for these kids. Like that's, they're my why I'm not here to be a part of any kind of social issues. Like, um, but just so many, so many random politics just kind of came into everything and, and teachers feeling like they could tell me how to do my job. And, and not that I, you know, and I just, I'm like trying to be go with the flow and, you know, just say, (laughs) okay, like, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. But it kind of came to a point where I I was realizing that I didn't want to go to work because I didn't like what was happening. Um, It didn't, I was not enjoying my job and then I was losing sleep because I was staying up just thinking about it or just sleeping badly or poorly. And, um, it was, it was affecting my mood and affecting like just so much outside of work to the point where it was my boyfriend who was like, I don't think you're sleeping. Like that was how he kind of was able to verbalize it to me that actually there was a lot more going on. And, um, that really like made me think like, why am I not sleeping? And, and, um, why am I hating my job? Maybe like, why, you know, why is it not fun right now? And, and I kind of, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was after that. I was like, I hit burnout for a reason that I didn't realize you could hit burnout. Um, but like, like you said, like there's, there's definitely been more times. It's not just that one time. Um, and I think I brought this up on our live was that I I've started to kind of realize like, instead of looking at ways to avoid burnout, because sometimes we don't feel what creeps up on us. I really like to think of like, I think this is me with my SOP preschool visuals. Like I like to think of like building a bridge, like, you know, like kind of like, okay, how, like here I am, I'm, I'm at this point. I want to get to that light at the end of the tunnel, like, because I know it's there so how can I get there? Like, what do I, what are the steps I need to take? Or, you know, how do I kind of bridge that gap? And, and what do I need? Basically it always comes down to what do I need to do for myself to, to fill my cut back up? Um, 
A hundred percent. I mean, you, you dropped so many nuggets right there. So first <laughs> thing I want to say is, um, yes to what you, you didn't use this specific word, but the culture I really do. I'm so <laughs> passionate about work culture because I think the culture has a lot to do with how people will, um, show up for themselves, what they feel the expectations are. And I feel like when you're in a setting where the expectation is, no, you set boundaries. It's healthy to have boundaries. It's good to, I don't know what X, Y, Z, then you're more, you're going to be more likely to think like, okay, I can um, feel empowered to make these decisions to preserve myself. But there are a lot of work cultures and environments where the bottom line is always productivity, or it's kind of like, you know what? I do need you to stay this extra hour. I need you to do. And I think once in a while, don't get me wrong, that happens and it's fine. But I think it is when it starts to become a norm. And then if the environment is also um, <laughs> ladled with some drama and that is an expectation that it's okay to talk about colleagues behind their backs as opposed to having hard conversations with the person that needs to hear it, that also impacts, I think, how we register, okay, what is the cultural expectation here? How do I show up here? And for me, I know that has a big factor. I have a really hard time working in a space and I know every place has its thing. Um, but there are some places I've worked that I felt were more toxic than others. And that made me feel aversive to come to work because I felt like outnumbered in the sense of, oh, like, I don't like this kind of politics and drama, but this seems to be how everyone kind of plays the game or how they connect right. to each other. And that was also in itself a very hard thing to learn. Um, and so that's the first thing I wanted to say. And then the second thing, when you're saying like coming back to um, essentially preventative measures, because there's an element of, and I think in therapy, they always say this too, it's just kind of like, you can't change others, but you can start with yourself. And I think it does start with self-awareness. Um, any kind of um, self-development and um, change you make as a leader or advocate, it really starts with that awareness level. And I think being able to check in and have the tools so that you don't get to a point where you're just like running on E, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, is powerful. And I have learned throughout the years how to gauge myself better and how to ask for the things that I need mm -hmm. because I can't expect that people will know what that is or what like my work environment is going to give that to me. But I can, I can at least expect out of myself to advocate for myself. And then I think how people respond or what, what then the organization's capable of doing, I think then there's a level that it's on me to assess like, okay, can I continue in this kind of environment after I've already asked for the things I need? And if they're not able to support it, how can I change my environment to make myself feel more successful? The way I like to think of it, I know we're such SLPs and like preschoolers, um, but I think a lot about how we constantly build um, therapy and strategy, like strategy tools for our families and our kids to build them up for success. We're always talking about how can we modify an environment for the child's yeah. success? How can we 
set goals in a way that can build the child up for success. And I think the same thing has to be applied to ourselves. Um, how can I build myself up for success? Where do I thrive? You know, what kind of environments, what kind of um, people even, like, do I really work well with and I respond well to? Um, I think those are all important factors to consider. It Exactly. And I think a big and you kind of touched on this too, you know, and I think about a school-based SLP position because that's where I'm at. <laughs> like there is sometimes that culture and I know it's very true uh, where I work and I, I, dem- I never wanted to admit it was true, but that year that I kind of hit that emotional burnout stage, that's when I realized how true it was. Mm-hmm. Um, just that there, there is a culture um, sometimes of, you know, and I think it comes from lack of knowledge of what SLPs do. I really do. Um, that, you know, the SLP is, is, I don't want to say it the wrong way, but there's just a lack of understanding what an SLP does. So I think sometimes we get placed a little bit lower if there's a totem pole per se, you know, and, and it becomes a little bit obvious that, you know, and, and I felt like too, and, and not that I know this, but for, 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 um, as a fact, but I also feel like being a younger person, um, a younger woman on, you know, my team for, um, for only a year at the time, like I wasn't taken as seriously. And it kind of showed me that, you know, one of the things I need to do to modify my environment is say no, (laughs) (laughs) um, and learn how to set boundaries and create a better environment for myself. So, um, once I kind of, once that all, like, it was literally like within a couple months when I realized I'm not sleeping well, like, what am I, like, I'm not, all these things are not falling into place the way that I want them to. So how can I, what, what is it about me that needs to change in order to kind of help my environment change? Um, you know, and, and that just, it started a huge pattern of self-advocacy for me and, um, I've always been more of, like I said, a little bit more the type to just be like, it's okay. Like, this is how it is. Like, I'm going to go with the flow. And in the last year, I've probably really shifted on a lot. A lot of people are like, oh, she's, she's got a lot more to say. But I just, I, I'm kind of, I kind of got a little bit tired of the, this is how it is mentality because the, this is how it is, didn't really do a lot of good for me. It kind of, it, it was starting to affect my health, like my mental health, but also my physical health. If I'm not sleeping, like that's not good. And I just thought, well, I'm not, I'm not down for that. Like if, okay, fine. I'm one of the younger ones on the team. I'll, then I'll start like trying to insist that things are different. Like, I don't know. So well, this is the thing, right? That our career is a lifelong thing. You yeah. know, it, it, it's, it's a long haul thing. It's not just like a five year thing or 10 year thing. Like it's, it's going to be here for some time. And I view it as another form of a relationship in my life. And I'm like, all right, in any relationships, you set boundaries. And especially if you are going to have a long-term relationship, <laughs> there's, there's, there's boundaries that you set. And I think about career as that. And like, I need to set boundaries if I'm going to sustain this and be happy and, feel balanced, um, that work-life balance, I need to treat it as I would with any relationship. And Mm -hmm. I need to show up and kind of like to do my best work and show up. I do need to set those boundaries and I need my voice to be heard Mm -hmm. um, a little bit more. Um, And I mean, obviously 
there's ways to do it in a very respectful way. But I do think that when you're new at times and certain settings, it could be looked at as like, you can be kind of taken advantage of. Like I just remember being in a private clinic and getting all the hard clients. And when I say hard clients, I mean the complex communicators, you know, like I got like all the kids with behavioral challenges and I got um, all the kids that maybe like, just like were, there was like a lot of puzzle pieces and a lot of people on their team um, working with them. And, you know, I actually really like those um, cases, but to have a bulk of my caseload be that, that was really exhausting for me to say like maybe out of my full work week, like 80% of my caseload was that, like going back to back to back with behavioral kids, kids who have self-injurious behaviors. It was physically, mentally, and emotionally draining. So there is a level of advocating for yourself. Like I think there was a point where I, I know looking back, in my first year, I didn't advocate because I felt like I couldn't leverage Same. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think moving on to year two and three, that's when I was like, I love these clients and I need to also spread my schedule out so that I can re-energize myself for the, the next case that has X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, and not to shift gears too much, I think we've kind of touched on like the fact that different jobs in the SLP world are so productivity driven, whether you're in the schools, whether even, I mean, even if you own your own private practice, like you could get so caught up in the productivity of it for different reasons. Like if you're the owner of a private practice, like you are paying your bills, like you're not, you know, I love my school job because I have built-in benefits and stuff, but then there's another side. If you're, you know, doing your own practice, you have to, you know, maintain a certain amount of clients and things like that. So there, in every aspect of the job, there's that neat need of productivity. And it just kind of depends on what the end goals are, I guess, as far as how much, Um, but you know, what are probably your, I guess, best pieces of advice for how to take time for yourself in these really like, you know, every week, I I mean, I know for me, it's like, I work, I work set hours. I have contract hours. I need to be productive between 7, 15 AM and 2, 45 PM. Like real, realistically, I'm productive until probably 4 PM, you know, like Mm -hmm. SLP wise. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I'm like, this is, yeah, it's a big question and it's ever evolving and changing, but some of the things that I think have really stuck with me, um, one, I think if anyone knows me, I'm pretty silly and I don't take myself so seriously and why I'm so driven to pediatric. I, I just love like being silly, getting on the floor, playing with kids. Mm. And so one of the things there is like, I tur- I don't take myself seriously and I can turn that side off when I, like when I don't need it. So only when I feel like, okay, I really have to be in this more like serious driven, whatever, like, um, kind of manner, I will turn that side on, but out 
outside of like maybe those meetings or the things that really need me to kick into high gear, I will give myself like, I've always been pretty good about giving myself permission to just like relax and not, not take myself so seriously. But I also will say that now spills into making sure to create the boundaries to protect that in my personal life. So that because although I don't take myself so seriously, I think in those those first couple of years feeling like, oh, I have so much work. I need to finish. I need to do this and that. I've really learned to draw those boundaries of, no, these are my hours. Work is always going to be there. And, but my well-being, you know, I won't be able to come back and do the work if I don't actually take care of myself. I'm not gonna be a happy or a fun therapist or effective any of the things that like families would want out of you, your employee, employer would want out of you, what you would want out of yourself. Like, I'm not going to show up like me if I don't actually do the things that are for me. So mm-hmm. I've really created those boundaries like you where I've become quite a stickler um, in the past couple of years of my day has ended. And like, there are exceptions for like some IEP meetings or some families where this is the only time because they do have a lot going on. But more (coughs) often than not, I'm pretty good about saying, nope, this is the end of my day. I will check back in tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. And then I let it go. (laughs) And I move on and I don't take myself seriously. I like go and talk to my husband or play like call my friends and I just veg out and have (laughs) and I relax um but the other thing that I had to do was I really had to also shift my expectations and define like what was also meaningful for me because um going back to productivity driven and what you were saying how different settings can um communicate it in a different way I think that, so I'm going to walk you through my first, my CF year, the clinic I worked at, something that they, they did every month was they actually printed out an Excel spreadsheet with all the therapists names on there, how many kids they had on their caseload for the week. And then next to it was a percentage of their productivity rate, how much they met, met their productivity. Then next to that was, um, a color. So if it was white, that meant you met the exact amount. Like I'm just making up a number. Say you had 10 clients, you saw 10 clients. All right, you're at neutral. But if you saw eight of the 10, then the color would be red because you dip below productivity. And if you exceeded, because sometimes there's makeups and we were expected to kind of pitch in and help others. Um, so if you saw over that amount, then the, the little box would be green, meaning you did over your productivity. Um, and that you can imagine if that's in the break room and that is all the SLPs, like names are there and the information's there. Um, that really brewed a certain type of environment. It created more competition. And I think that for some, those metrics really work. I'm going to be honest. Some people really are driven by the metrics. For me, it was quite disheartening um, to see it because of what I felt was happening with the culture. And so that was where in my CF, I really learned very early on of understanding my expectations, but my alignment of 
I can be productive, but I don't work well under these contingencies, like having metrics in place. And this is how they empower their employees. Like that doesn't make me feel great. And it doesn't make me feel, um, quite frankly, I wasn't really like, I just, I wasn't motivated by that kind of, um, factor, I guess. And so I think I really quickly unlearned like, all right, I know productivity is going to be a thing anywhere I go. It makes sense, but I need it to be in a way that really aligns with my values. So what are my values and, um, shifting my expectations of, you know, what productivity can is measured in so many different ways. And this is just not the way that that works for me. So I think one of the things I know this might sound a little convoluted, but for those listening, I think that's why I'm so big on really assessing what your values are and your and aligning it. Um, because I, I always say there's not truly a bad work setting. It's just not a good fit. I always think that there's a good fit for everyone. And that setting was just not a good fit for me. The way that leadership communicated, how they chose to motivate us through those metrics and I felt like it was exposing clinicians, you know, by putting that Excel spreadsheet in the break room. No, your girl does not do well in that kind of environment. I crumbled. I was like, ah, too much pressure. Not fun. Doesn't feel like it's the purpose I was, I had in mind when I graduated, um, from my master's program. Oh my gosh, honestly. And I would be the same exact way as you. Um, I'm a very, you could throw any board game in front of me or charades or whatever. I am competitive as you know, I'll get out. And I love, I want to play Monopoly deal with you. Oh gosh. Oh, Monopoly. Well, I've never played Monopoly deal. Monopoly takes me three hours because (laughs) I'm so like, I have to get this right. No. And I've been playing games a lot this break. Um, it's been amazing and fun. And I love, but I love that. Like, I love being competitive in that way. Like for a couple hours a night, like I, I like getting that competitive nature out. Um, in every other aspect of my life, competition does me dirty. And for the same reason, like, and it's funny that you say that I never have had that kind of experience in as an SLP where, but just the thought, like, I can't imagine, you know, and I, and I know teachers kind of go through this with like test scores and stuff. Like I couldn't do it. And the reason I know that is when I actually was in, um, grad school and undergrad and everything, I worked at a restaurant, which was like the, the fine dining restaurant in our city. Um, and, um, I worked there and that's actually how Mark and I, that's where like we reconnected after high school and we started dating and stuff. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, I had, and I guess the point of that is like, I had so many friends there. My, actually my brother worked there with me for a time. Like it was all like such this little family. (laughs) Yeah. Well, within like my last year there, they started to, um, in a, in a sense, boost productivity because it be, I started working there when it was not a corporate owned company. And then like within a couple of years, I went corporate and things started changing and productivity and, and, you know, making like a million dollars over what they made the year before became like the whole focus every year. And Mm -hmm. so it definitely was very eye opening as far as like, how much do I really matter to you guys? And so they started doing these competitions. This was in my last year of being there, long story short. And um, 
they were brutal. Like, and, and what they did was that we all picked teams like for like, let's say that the competition went for like two to three months every time. And at the end, the winning team would all get to go to Universal Studios or Disneyland or whatever. Oh and um, the, so like on the back wall in, our, in like the kitchen area, there was like the, the big score sheet and like points could get taken away or given and they would write down the name of who got it taken away and for what and like the manager signed it and like I crumbled like for the same because because you know if you if you sold this bottle of wine you got points if you broke a dish you got like this many points taken away if you were caught um like well there was one if you were like caught talking to another employee like like not talking, but like if you were caught, like not working, basically, like if you're in the corner, like having a chat and you're like taking, taking a minute for yourself, like points would get taken away and like all kinds of random things. And so I got to the point where I was like, I don't care. Like, and I wasn't really like trying to lose points, but, and I don't think I even lost a lot of points for my team, but I just got to the point where I was like, this is not fun. Like, I don't know how some people find this fun. I don't find it fun because we're literally pitting each other against one. Like, you're just looking at each other like, oh, you're not, you're not wearing a glove. Like, you know, or, you know, cause you'd have to wear like cut gloves. It feels so like I, the feeling gets like, you're so on edge. Just, like, yeah. That's and I'm like, the feeling I had, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't work well when I feel like I'm walking on eggshells or I'm yeah. on edge and under pressure. And you're right. Like, again, not, not fun. <laughs> it's just not fun. And so, yeah, it kind of taught me like I could never work in an environment like that. And then another thing about our job is not, and like you said, like it works for some people, like it totally worked for some people in the restaurant. And I'm sure some clinicians, they probably, I get that there's that side to some people um, when it comes to your job. But my whole thing personally is like, how do I measure actual like success in my workplace? Like really, and it doesn't even come down to students meeting their goals. Like that is, that is obviously a huge factor. Like if a student is making progress and, and all that stuff, but really what, like for me at the end of the day, if my kids had fun in in sessions and, you know, if I go through IEP meetings and parents feel really confident, like, and empowered and, and they agree with the goals that we're all on the same team, like all of those things for me kind of factor in that success. I don't need to like, you know, sit here and, and say like, oh, five of your students met their goals while six of mine met theirs. Like to me, that just, Mm -hmm. there's no point in that. Um, because like, that's not, that, and like you said, when I think about my values, that doesn't come into that. Like, it's not in that umbrella of what I value, what is me- meaningful in my work environment for my students. And then for me as well. And like other individuals that might come into it. So yeah, but it's just so crazy to think there's like, <laughs> you guys had a, a, a literal chart with colors. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. It was intense. And, you know, I mean, I think that the thing that I, I really take away from this and from just all the settings I've worked in that I've always thought about in my mind is there's a bottom line to the bottom line. And I say that on my, my page a lot. And that's why I do write about like leadership posts. Um, because I really do think as a leader, yes, you have to be thoughtful of the bottom line. Cause I understand the metrics do inform a part of the business or organization and, how we're doing um, as an effective team. However, that's not everything. The, the bottom line to that bottom line are 
the people, <laughs> the human humanness that we just all already have, like the clients, the employees, like just how we're doing and how we're functioning, like that contributes to the culture, which does have this domino effect of impacting the productivity. And I do think when you're saying measuring success and there's so many other things like empowerment and um, confidence. I mean, there's just so much that we can't truly measure through metrics, but it is just as powerful, if not more powerful to have those components shine through in our work. Um, So one of my strong values that I had to like, when I look for a job or opportunities that I look for is connection. I'm really big on, that's the whole reason that I'm in this field of communication is communication is that bond for connection. And so I need to be in a space where that is going to be supported by leadership and by my colleagues that we are going to put that at the forefront. So like you said, yes, I focus obviously on the goals that I write, but I really have to, like my core thing is I want to walk away knowing that I made a connection with the family or the client in a way that's empowering or meaningful for them because think about from their side too. This is hard for them to come to therapy. And I think about that a lot. I'm like, you know, what I want you to take away is not just how to make this sentence correctly or say these words. I also want this child and the family to walk away feeling like, you know what, this is empowering. I can do this. I'm motivated. I'm confident. I'm excited to try these things. And so, yeah, that's, I feel like that's a little bit of a tangent, but kind of- (laughs) Yeah, no. And that's, I think it's good for, um, especially like I keep saying, like we're going, this is my first podcast of 2021. And I'm so excited to be kind of on this note of like, maybe taking a minute for those that are listening to sit and reflect on those, those things, those values that you have. And, you know, we always say like, I know a lot of us talk about remember your why. And it's like, well, like you said, like the, what is it? The bottom line to the bottom line. Yeah. Um, I mean, like really thinking about that connection that you're building with every single family and client that you work with. Um, and, and even like, and I've talked about this a little bit too early on in the, in the podcast, uh, episodes with collaborating with your team, like what connections are you building there? Like, yeah, like you have to talk, you know, I think about in my teacher teams, like, yeah, like I'm obviously always collaborating on how to use these kinds of visuals with this student and, um, you know, maybe how to really work on joint attention with this other student and stuff. But like, what are the actual like connections that I'm building on a personal level with these teachers and with my team and with my admin? Because those connections really help foster the connections we're building with our little ones. And so. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Everything you just said. (laughs) Um, I feel like, and that is why, again, the metrics didn't work for me at that one setting because the culture was so focused on that, that it really took away on, wait, why are we all even here? And the relationships, like it started to create a little bit of hostility and competitiveness and you just kind of lose trust. I mean, I I can say for myself again, because I know there are people who do really respond well to that. But for me, I felt like then you start to not trust your colleague because you don't know. Even I think about what you said of your experience at the restaurant and how 
you can get docked for yeah. things that you didn't do, then you start to feel heightened and pressure. Like, uh, this person like, just looked at me. What are yeah. they going to write down? What are they going to report back? Can I trust him? Can I trust? It's not like, yeah. Yeah. It's- and it seems so silly. Cause you're like, it's just a game. Like you're only going to win a Disneyland trip, but it's like just the level the things of things add up. It's, yeah. It's just that mistrust. And it's like, these are people I've been friends with for years. I remember having the thought of like, I've worked with them for so long and now like I hope they don't come in for a shift because they're always on my butt, like, you know, watching me. And it's just like, who wants that in any kind of a work environment? Like, you know, because because even at a restaurant, I mean, it's not like being an SLP by any means, but I learned a lot about human connection and the importance Mm of, you know, I I learned like when as a server with my tables if I built a stronger connection, like they were far happier than if I was just there treating them like a number, taking their order and moving on. Um, and so, yeah, it just, as it should be, we're not robots. No, exactly. And it all, <laughs> that's why like we can't be based off of just metrics. Cause we're not just robots or algorithms built mm-hmm. off of zeros and ones. <laughs> we're people yeah. who are complex and we all have some level of emotions and things that we're, we're all personally dealing with. And I always think handle people with care. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> your colleagues, your clients, your families, um, connection so important. And I think like, yeah, handle, handle your people with care. I love that. That's yeah. so perfect. Um, and we kind of talked about, you know, how all of that feeds into setting boundaries for yourself. I mm-hmm. think once you align your values, you can figure out, okay, so what boundaries do I need to set where like, and I know I've told you this, but I've had situations where I've learned where I need to speak up a little bit more. And that in and of itself is setting a boundary because when you're speaking up and advocating for yourself, you're saying, this is what I need, um, to do my job, to have the best mental health in order to do my job and all of those things. Um, that helps you create your own environment and set the boundaries where you need to set them. Um, so yeah, I think, and you're, you and I are a lot alike in that after Mm -hmm. this time of day, like I am not, I'm not checking emails. Like, you know, there always will be exceptions, but I think when, you know, when the exceptions come, when you maybe need to stay a little bit later at work or when you need to stay for an IEP or whatever it is, it's a little bit easier to do because you've set those boundaries and you're not always doing it. It's not tax. Yeah, it's not a norm. You don't set it as a norm that you're mm-hmm. always going to work past your, your contracted hours. Yeah. I think that's the, the thing is when it's an exception, it's, it's truly an exception as opposed to this is a norm. Yes. On paper, it says I'm eight to four, but I actually stay till six or seven every night to do like that's yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't no. do that here. Um, it's important to truly see and recognize and believe that like the time that I end my work and I step into my personal life that actually contributes to my my productivity at work too. I need that to be a good clinician to show up for myself. So not seeing it as, oh, I'm bad or I'm not productive or I'm not this or that because I'm not staying like just really knowing like, actually, this is so needed. This it's, it makes me kind of think of the quote, which it's like, we all know when we hear it, we're like, of course, but I think all of us can fall into this slippery slope at times of like self-care is not selfish where it's like self-care is actually so necessary. It makes me think of that a little bit with stepping away from work, work, stepping away from work actually will make you more productive because you will just 
be happier human. It really does. I will say like in the last few months of, you know, kind of once I figured out teletherapy and stuff, I feel like because I've set such hard boundaries for myself, which have been so helpful, I feel like the times I am at work when I'm like, you know, on a session with my students and stuff, I'm way more present with them. We're way more productive in our sessions and somehow I'm finding extra time to do my paperwork. Like, and, but you're energized. I'm energized yourself and I'm not getting down on myself. Like I've, I've really worked hard to like, let go. Like if it's three o'clock and I don't have the energy, I'm not like, well, I have to get this data like done. I'm like, you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. Like it's okay. And I'm practicing self-grace. That's what you're just saying. Like practicing self-grace. Like, you know what? I will do in the morning and trust, trusting that what Mm -hmm. needs to be done will be done. You are capable, but also trusting that, you know, this is good for me. I am going to trust that I need to step away from my work, but I will get it done, but I need to do this right now because it's healthy for me. Yeah. So many boundaries. That's one that we share. And I know another one that we share is like speaking up more, Mm -hmm. advocating, saying no, or one of the things that I shared with you that I really like, um, is it's okay to say yes. And, and I feel like that's such an improv thing, but like if someone asks you to do this last minute project, it's okay. It's very much okay to say, yeah, I actually would love to help you on this project. And what, what I will need in Mm -hmm. order to support you with this is I need two more weeks on this. Or if, I have an opening on this like Wednesday. Can you not fill it with a client so I can actually support you in this other project? So like really saying yes and asking for what you need because then you put yourself at a level of partnership as opposed to a person who feels like kind of subservient in a way. Like Mm -hmm. I have to just say yes and I just have to do it. And I have like the I have to. I think that's that's where it starts to become, ooh, just a little like – yeah, that slow burn exactly. <laughs> in our career. No. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, and I think, and, and you know, like that's been one of my biggest, we talk about unlearned lessons together and oh, yes. um, that, that saying no was a, like, or the need to say yes to everything was a lesson I had to unlearn for myself. Um, lots of different things, right? I also had to unlearn like the it's it is what it is mentality like totally that one's gone long gone but, <laughs> but sometimes that yes creeps in because I have that you know feeling of like well I want to say yes like I want to be there for somebody and I know I like I'm capable of doing this like I have the means I have the knowledge and whatever but maybe I don't have the time and so kind of saying yes and why don't like why don't I not push into your classroom that day then and I will go make those materials or whatever it is. Like, yeah. Um, so I do, uh, I do really love that um, kind of that concept of yes, Andy, and through your job because it's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and kind of to wrap our conversation up, this has been this has been so good. Like I said, we I could probably know. talk for hours about this, um, but so passionate um, about it. <laughs> to be this is just like a good snippet of all of these things and I do want people to go and watch all your lives because um they're amazing and again it's so many different perspectives on all of these things but um what is one unlearned lesson for you 
Mm, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, one lesson that I had to unlearn, um, there's a lot, but I think the one that was most powerful for me came in a quote from Brene Brown. So um, her quote of clear is kind. So what I had to unlearn before was if you're kind, oh, you have to kind of maybe tiptoe around topics or you don't say it so abrasive or whatever. You know, I felt like anyone I was speaking to personally or professionally, I just felt like I had to be very careful to not hurt their feelings um, because there's a level of consideration that I, I always wanted to take into these conversations. But what I un had to unlearn was you can be thoughtful and considerate and still be direct. And that is actually more kind because you are actually fostering a more authentic relationship and you are allowing people to see more of where you stand, which is a good thing to see where you stand and they can respond how they need to respond as yep. opposed to like, in a way, not that this was the goal. The goal truly for me was like, oh, I don't want to hurt feelings, but sure. I think what happens is also you kind of distort like what you're putting out there. Like I felt like sometimes I would say stuff in such a quote unquote nice way and that it would become distorted. And so the way people respond and the relationship that we would start to curate wasn't necessarily the most authentic because they didn't truly know like the things I a hundred percent felt because I was having a hard time communicating that. So I feel like being clear is kind to myself and to others, like being very honest with myself, like, okay, Elaine, what is going on here? Some of the things that maybe I would not like to think are um, issues that are happening, or I, I really like, I think in my younger years really wanted to paint this like in my mind of like, oh, I'm just so happy and grateful and bubbly, you know, it's almost like, oh, that's not like everyone has yeah. their days. That's not healthy. And that's not true that yeah. <laughs> for me anyways. Um, so I think being clear with myself, I'm actually really unhappy. I'm actually really burnt out. Sure. What do I need? Like being clear and communicating that to myself first and then taking the steps. And this is the big step. The courageous step for me was then verbalizing that to others and saying this, like quitting a job that was hard, you know, sure. saying like, I'm turning in my resignation. And the reason is I don't work well under like, and being honest, I don't work well in this environment with these kind of metrics. I respect what you've built here, but I've just realized after a year of being here, I don't respond well to that kind of thing. And I, I need to step away so that I can empower myself in a different, um, different opportunity. And I think that was hard initially. It's like, if I was to quit, it's like, uh, like my first thought was like, uh, how do I quit without really telling maybe the whole truth, but realizing, oh, there's a way to still present it. That's yeah, powerful, but clear feedback too. I love yeah. that. I think that is a huge lesson. And kind of like you said, like we, some of us might, and I know I've been here too. Um, and I still struggle with this is like, I want to be kind. I want to have the most kind response, but sometimes like I, it, it almost comes down to like not worrying about what the receiving person is going, how they're going to react because you yeah, really like, you can't control that. You can't control that. And I, and that kind of goes into like where I hit my burnout because I think a lot of it was like my first year with this set of 
this team, I was in a, in a way of like, I, I said yes to everything. And I just was super like silent about things I didn't agree with because I wanted to appear kind. And I didn't want to come off as maybe trying to like have, like be confrontational or anything like that. And it was, you know, the following year where I felt like, wait a minute, like, I'm not going to be happy if I keep my mouth shut. Like, and not that I have to like be on attack mode, but if somebody asked me to do something like, you know, I can say, I can say no and give a reason why and be clear about it. And, and thoughtful and tactful. Um, and, and, you know, I had no control over their reactions. I had no control over the fact that people weren't going to like that I was saying those things and that, you know, but it got me to the point of like feeling like I don't need to care. Like that's okay. Um, and there's vulnerability, I think too, with being clear. I think that like not wanting to hurt people's feelings, but also like, I think there's a level of vulnerability that comes into play of not knowing how someone will respond. And I think sometimes the control comes from a place of like, well, I, I don't, I feel vulnerable if this is not going to be received well. So I want to say in a way that mm-hmm. might land better, but I think that the vulnerability is you can only control your own experience and how you feel. You can work on communicating it as tactfully as you can, yeah. but then the rest is really not yours to control. And you'll, you'll, you just have to see how they'll receive it and, and work with that. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's exactly it. And I think okay, that's- can I give you one yeah. book? Sorry to interrupt. Like there's one book that really, really changed how I communicate. Yeah, um, it's called crucial conversations. I've talked about it a little bit on my page, but I went to their workshop and I read the book and that book has really helped give some frameworks and strategies on how to have crucial conversations because in any context or relationships, you're going to have hard conversations, but it is a skill. Like how do I build up the courage and what do I talk about? Um, yeah, there's just so much to it. I'm not going to unravel it here, but, um, I highly recommend that book. Uh, I think it does a really good job depicting how to simply enter, how to bring up a concern and how to enter a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And I think that's a great, it's like, you just gave us so much information with your background, with all these different things that we might encounter. Um, and to kind of have a place for us to now like go to, to help with that kind of a thing, I think is, is perfect. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm, I'm a huge book nerd. So that's, I'm like, I love anything tangible and practical. So I'm so glad that like, yeah, I feel like any, for any of you who love reading books, like this one's a good one for you to pick up. I I wrote it down. I'm going to find it right after this. (laughs) Perfect. All right, Elaine. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait for everybody to hear this because I think, I think it's going to be very well received and probably very well needed. Even I probably should listen to it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Honestly, like I said before, I feel like this is an like ever evolving and changing thing. Um, It's a journey, but I think the more you can clue into what aligns you, what your values are, then you're right, Marie, you can start to set like those boundaries that are more meaningful for yourself. And I think that can help you like people really assess like the settings that they're in and the decisions that they're making, which will help a lot with some of the context of burnout. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I know, like, I feel like this is something like I have so many thoughts constantly about it that we could keep going on and on. Um, but maybe we'll have to have like a part two of like, I was thinking that. Yeah, like different topics because what I realized is I've only talked about burnout in my CF year, but I definitely have felt oh. it other times. I'm like, oh wow, yeah. Each time they hit me differently. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> exactly. No, I'd be. T- like, I definitely oh, wow. would be interested in us maybe circling back and doing a part two and talking about different types and like maybe specifically looking at in the last year because I think all of us have whether or not we've hit burnout, we've gone through it. <laughs> like oh. just gone through the ringer. I mean, um, yeah. oh, we have. So yeah, I definitely would love to keep that conversation going. It's definitely needed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Marie. And for those thank who are listening, you. uh, happy new year's. We're in 2021. <laughs> happy new year. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Elaine, you are a light and such a fun person to talk to, to connect with. I'm really grateful to call you a friend in our community, and I can't wait to have you back. We are planning on doing a second part to this podcast because there is so much to share here, and I think it's something that in our field we don't look into enough, and we need to because if we can't be here 100%, guys, our clients, our students, the families we work with, they're not going to get our all and they deserve our all just as we deserve our all right so we'll keep this going i cannot wait to answer any questions you might have be sure you submit those to either one of us if you find elaine find her over at pacific northwest speech on instagram go ahead and dm me if you need to or go on thanksmorris.com and uh, fill out a a request to get your questions answered all right friends i'm gonna leave you with this um Find ways to be excited this week. Something that I had to really kind of get my head, like wrap my head around as I went back to work after winter break this week was like, okay, what are all the reasons I have to be excited? I'm so excited to see my students. And I think that was number one. But sometimes it's just hard to get back in that workflow and that waking up a little bit earlier, um, maybe staring at a computer screen a little bit longer. So kind of keep those things in your back pocket, those three or four things you get, you can get excited about every day to keep you going because I know sometimes it gets a little bit monotonous and uh, we want you to be your best self. So with that said, I'll see you next week. I'll talk to you next week. I hope you're having a great one. Bye-bye.